Welcome to Transition Talks, where we speak with former elite and professional athletes about their experience of athletic retirement, the challenges they face during their transition away from sports, and how they overcome them. This interview is conducted by Milagro Sequeira Hutt, a former professional tennis player and a volunteer for Athlete Soul. Well, thank you, Joe Wallen, for for joining for joining us today. It's super exciting, and I, you know, it's uh, for me, it's a privilege and an honor to have the ability to do this with you. I mean, we've known each other for many years, uh, and just seeing your journey through a professional athlete uh, to general manager to in a you know second largest indoor facility, and now the senior director of the biggest facility in the in the country, tennis facility in the country, is uh, very very exciting. I cannot say enough great things about you. So we're very happy to have you. And thank you for joining Athlete Soul in this transition talk today. Um, before we get started, though, um, Joe, tell us a little bit about your tennis journey. When did you start? How how did that all happen? Give us a little bit of context so we know Joe, the tennis player. Okay, I've got a couple of good stories, I guess. Uh, so I actually started when I was four years old. And I had two brothers and my parents owned a fish and chip shop originally from England. So you'll hear a really confused accent, which I'm sure we'll get to why soon. Um, but my brothers were just playing with an old warped wooden racket. And when I say wooden, I think that also defines my age. So tell me I'm a little bit older here and I wanted to play. And my dad was like, no, the racket's bigger than you just go in and play with your, you know, dolls and teddy bears. And I just kept crying, crying. And my mom's like, just let her hit a ball, you know, just let her hit, just let her try. And I'm sure they thought fail. Right. But and I remember my dad tossing me a ball and I hit a backhand and I broke the living room window with my backhand and I didn't just break it, like smashed it. So as a four-year-old, you know, I was first of all, I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to get into trouble. And then I was like, wow, that was super fun. Like my dad's like, let's try that again. So that's exactly like how I actually started playing. And then I just, every single day, I spent hours with a foam ball and a plastic racket playing against my parents' fish and chip shop wall. So the ultimate wall, the glass wall of my parents' fish and chip shop. Um, and then my dad's like, look, I think she needs some lessons. Started playing, uh, was number two in England in the 12 and unders. And long story, my dad was looking for sponsorship money because it was obviously very getting very expensive to travel. And somehow got in touch with IMG, International Management Group. And the person that picked up the phone was in charge of European tennis. Just so happened they were in England that day in London, picked up the phone. And so ended up hitting with Virginia Wade, who was a very famous older tennis player and went down to her house. And she said, okay, I think it's, you know, you need to get out of England at the time. And they sent me to Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy, which is now IMG Academies. Um, and when I was there, I got offered a five-year scholarship by Nick. And so hard decision to move away from family at 12 years old. Um, and it was me that wanted to do that, like desperately. I was like, no, I want to go. I want to go. So um, moved over there, spent a year by myself without my parents. So at 12 years old, having to grow up, having to learn how to do laundry and get up and do homework and be responsible. Um and then started playing on the tour and got some wild cards. Didn't do great. I mean, we, I always laugh about this and Millie, you know, this, I say that like, you know, everyone in the tennis world, if you weren't like probably top, probably top 20, top 30, you, your people kind of look at you as not that good. 
And I was way less than that. I got to about 250 in singles and 150 in doubles. Um, so traveled the world, but it's something I wanted to do. I love doing it. Um, lost a lot of money doing it. Um, and then, uh, but I was so close. I had some really good wins along the way and then some really, really, really tight losses where I think it could have pushed me over the edge to break that top 100 and just couldn't quite do it. Um, so when I was playing, I always felt like I was learning like the sport, right. And I would go into clubs and look at, look at how they were doing things and look at the programs and watch people coach, watch hundreds of coaches on the tour coach about how to coach and maybe how not to coach, um, how to treat people, <laughs> how not to treat people. Um, so I always knew that tennis wanted to be, um, you know, my, what I wanted to go into. I remember my dad, when I was little, I started playing McEnroe, Connors were playing and he looked at me and said, if you ever touch your racket to the ground, ever in temper, I will break every single racket you own and you will never play tennis again. And I was like, okay. And I never did because I was scared to death of my dad, like following through with that. Um, and I remember one of my last tournaments, I got so mad. I broke my first racket and I was like 26. Right. And I was scared wow. to death of my dad still like, oh, my God, he's going to take every racket. I'm never going to play again. <laughs> um, but at that point, I was starting to get frustrated. The very next tournament, I actually taught I bust up my knee pretty bad, had surgery, had a blood clot from that. And so just decided it was a better time. So, you know, I've had, to, it was a great time playing uh, within the tennis realm. I probably am not looked on as a great tennis player. Um, but that's everyone's opinion, you know, and how they define themselves. So. But what a great story, Joe, Joe. I mean, having the ability to, you know, to really pursue your dream of being a professional athlete, regardless of where you fell on the ranking. I mean, that obviously is just a number, but just having that ability and the strength to come through all of the hurdles that you went through along the way. I mean, moving very young, you know, being able to, to sacrifice so much and then, then being able to actually, like I said, being able to play on the biggest stages in, in the world in tennis as well. I mean, what a great journey. Um, very, very inspiring. Um, now that we've talked about Joe, the player, let's talk about Joe as you're transitioning out of the sport. When did you take, when did you make the decision? When were you thinking about it and how did it happen for you? Well, I think that that time when I broke the racket and I'm, I said that, told that story specifically, because at that point I wasn't enjoying the competing and the training. I was getting too frustrated. There was too much frustration over joy. Um, and so I was like, okay, um, what am I going to do? And I only really knew tennis. That's what I knew. And I knew that I connected with people. And so I was like, okay, the easiest thing for me to do at this point in time is go into coaching. So I started coaching in um, Bradenton on Longboat Key, and I watched and like watched this the the tennis director and watched everything he did, and I watched how he coached. And he was still coaching um, one a guy that was a professional player too. So I watched him coach at a resort. He was coaching adult beginners, kids, the resort style of coaching, and then he was also coaching someone that was top like hundred in the world. And I just really was like, okay, this is for me, that pathway that I wanted to go into, into coaching. So from tennis into coaching. And then I think that the next phase of that was, you know, I started a move to Kentucky. So that's where the confused accent comes in England, Florida, <laughs> now Kentucky in some way. Um, and I was doing director of junior tennis. So I had to learn some of those skills of talking to the parents, building out programs. 
And then just an opportunity presented itself to take over as the manager. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready to do this. I don't know this, this, and that. There was a whole thing, right? List this long of things I didn't know. But what I did know is that everything I'd gone through from playing and traveling alone and being alone and having to figure out where to stay, finances, like all that stuff, I knew that I could figure it all out, right? So there wasn't anything on that big list that I didn't say, okay, I just cannot do. So I took it upon myself to learn. I was very upfront with the management team and said, look, I'm not doing daily finances. I will not do books and you know balance books. It's not what I'm going to do. I will know it. Um, and they said, you've got one year to turn it around. Otherwise we're going to close. And I was like, oh, okay. Right. And I'm happy to say now, no, 20, 15 years later, they're still there and thriving. Wow. So. That's a great story. What a, what, what a great opportunity for you to really continue to stretch yourself and just continue to, to learn. Right. And I think your resistance, your resistance, your resilience and your persistence in continuing to wanting to better yourself just keeps giving you and opening up new doors for you. Now, I know that when you leave your country very young, you've done tennis 24 seven, uh, pretty much 365 days a week. And that is all that you know of is I am Joe, a tennis player. When you go into a different role, which is still involved in tennis, but you're no longer competing. What, what did that feel like for you? How, how, how are you, how do you, how were you able to deal with that? That's and a great you have a group, And did you have a group of people that helped you transition and do all of that? That's a good question. I think that a lot of, you said resilience, I think persistence is in there as well, right? Um, I think that my dad had given me so much belief in me and like, I don't think he ever wanted me to quit. He still has that belief that I could probably still go out and make it now, right? But like he instilled that in me and we would have very, I say adult conversations when I was young, very much adult and within the family. I mean, deciding to move a family and all that, that was part of my decisions. And so I felt like I was having very adult conversations. So I don't think I've ever thought about it as in, okay, it's anything different. I'm me, whoever that is. And I've just, I think sometimes where I did, I would say struggle is I never go into a new situation, whether it was managing a tennis club, like whatever it was, this position with the USTA and my old position with wheelchair tennis, I knew nothing. And I would not go in pretending I knew something I didn't know. So I'm always very honest about what I can do, what I can't do and what I can learn and what I don't feel I can learn and where I need support. So I would say that my dad was that belief in me that always was there, but I've always been a semi loner of, and I think you are, especially with tennis, you don't have a huge support around you have a small group, but not a large group. And I just had to make it on my own. So it was my own self-belief in myself that, Hey, this is who I am. I can't change who I am. So you either take me as I am and help me develop, or you don't have that belief in me, then I don't need you to be part of my life anymore. So I, I think that's where it is really, you know, just having that belief that I can learn what I need to learn. I think that's a great takeaway too, uh, Joe, because I feel like a lot of athletes currently are just identify solely with what they do and are so fearful or scared or, you know, just have that lack of uh, confidence to take the next step, even though they do not necessarily know what they're doing or 
you know, just trying something new might make them a little hesitant. So I think that is a great takeaway. And I appreciate you sharing that because it's really important that our athletes hear that. Um, now let's talk about Joe currently. Tell us a little bit about this role that you're in with USDA. I know you have the largest facility in the in the in the, the largest tennis facility in the country, perhaps in the world. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong when, when I say that. Um, but what is what does it entail? What, what do you all do? I know there's programming a big part of it, but tell us more. What exactly is it that you are currently doing? So that's a that's a great question. Sometimes I still ask myself that, right? <laughs> But I mean, there's so many different departments and different layers, um, you know, from um, from courts and grounds and really understanding the facility to understanding the business model to understanding we have to work a lot with other departments and understand what their goals and priorities are and how we can help. Um, so I think that it's a it's such a massive job and you I have to be adaptable every day. Something is new every single day. I've had to build relationships with identified people to make them understand what our business plan is, right? Um, because everyone's got in the USTA, you know, you've got different com different departments doing different things, and we almost have to bring it all together in a way to show that we're being inclusive. So having to that open mind again to work with everyone and try to understand where they come from. I mean, uh, you know, mission is obviously to grow and promote the game of tennis and, you know, through old diversity and through different lanes. Um, but also we we're a business. So it's sometimes hard because we have that, we have that mission. And then we have the business of where I have to make a little bit of money or I have to at least break even. So it's always sometimes a fine line with that. But I think the, I think the number one thing that I'm doing that I didn't probably realize I was going to do is being and managing and helping others and helping people develop. It's such a, I have a lot of time working my direct reports and then their direct reports to kind of see how they can develop and grow and dealing with issues as well that come up within people internal with my own team, but then also the hundreds of customers that come in that may complain that their kid's not in the right place. So I think people management is one of the largest things that I do and then trying to understand where we need to be in the next five to 10 years. Oh, excellent. I know that one of the biggest things that you always mention is that you want to be remembered by taking a chance on the people that others didn't believe. Um, talk a little bit about that. Why is that so ingrained? And just just share with us that because I do find that fascinating, you know, especially coming from a sport that is very individualistic uh, as tennis is. How, what made you change your mind in terms of that? And how, how do you see it moving forward? You know, it's interesting. I was taking a class on Monday and they had us write this like personal mission statement and I was struggling with it. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I started thinking about it and everything I wrote was in response to what I've been told in a negative way. So when I say people, you know, I want to be remembered that someone took a chance. I took a chance on someone and believed in them when others didn't. I think that's kind of my personal mission and value. And it's, it derives back to when I was 15, I remember having a conversation at 15, right? Just 15 years old, 16 years old with Nick in his office. And he goes, you know, you're just not good enough to make it. And I was like, okay. And again, go back to that where I say, who's defining what I'm good enough to be, right? And he's like, you're not good enough. Well, I'd had some wild cards. I got my butt kicked, right? 
had some decent results, but I was 15. Who tells a 15 year old without a follow-up, right? Of saying, okay, but you're not good enough to be a top 10 player or a top 50 player. However, you could do this, this, or this. Now it was like, well, you can go to college wherever you want to go, but that's not anything I wanted to hear because I didn't want to go to college. So I remember walking out and my dad saying, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't care what Nick says. I said that not in that way, in a little bit more disrespectful way. <laughs> and I, my dad's like, okay, let's go do it. Right. And that's why I think that unfailing response from my dad of let's go follow your dreams. So when I say, I don't think at that point in time, you know, obviously he didn't believe in me now. Right. And, you know, he was here recently, a couple of years ago before, uh, probably about six, eight months ago, nine, maybe a year ago now on campus. And, you know, before he passed. And I remember his, you know, the person that was with him said like, oh, we're so proud of you. And it actually, I had mixed feelings about that, right? Because I was in the back of my mind, I'm like, that they didn't believe in me then, but now, and I said, I said, defines what you mean as greatness, right? There's many things in this world. And I think that's where, you know, students coming out of college or transitioning in to the business world, there's so many different aspects of sports that you can get into and just being an athlete and winning or losing should not define where you can go or defines who makes it. Right. So I think for me, when I talk about being remembered like that, I want to do the same for others. I don't want others to be like ever say, well, she told me that I wasn't good enough. Cause I don't know what good enough means. What does good enough mean in our world today? Um, so I would say that's where it comes from. And I'm very, I would say, I'm still very competitive in a way. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But if someone tells me I can't do something, I actually like like that because I'm just going to prove you wrong because don't tell me I can't do something, you know, just I'm going to try and prove you wrong that I can do it. Fantastic, because that that's a great segue for the next question. <laughs> Share the skills that the sport actually taught you that you're bringing every single day either in life or with your current role. I mean, I think you've mentioned a couple, but just get a little bit a bit more details. That would be great. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, when athletes, when you're playing and you said something really good the other day, like you know, today, just to me a few minutes ago, my God, that's where I'm already thinking. You said this a couple of days ago. You said this just a few minutes ago, you know, that like people define who they are right with winning and losing. And I think that's really tough through social media now um, because people do say that and there's a lot of pressure on people, but the resilience, the, I think from being an athlete to the organization you need, I'm not sure I know too many athletes that, you know, don't get to their games on time. Right. I mean, as a tennis player, you you're either there or you're not, you got 15 minutes and you're defaulted. Right. So very like organized, very um, the resilience, obviously being able to adapt I mean, there's something I think is very important. I'm trying to teach my daughter that now, which she does not receive that skill from me. But, you know, you may have something where, you know, we were scheduled to practice at nine and, you know, you didn't show up because you were late or because you had an injury or you couldn't play. Okay, how do I adapt to that? So the adaptability. Um, And I think that those are the skills that are missing in the business world. You know, you have other people that come in that are non-athletes right. That have gone to school or gone to business school and come out, but then they don't know how to adapt. They've been told what to do and they don't have that resilience of losing how many, you know, five, six, eight matches in a row, but still having the confidence to go out and train and get better and then go lose again, but then go back and do it. So I think it's those, it's actually the skills that those, the athletes bring 
that sometimes the, the ones that have not been athletes, they don't understand that. And so they don't bring that. And to me, those are the skills that I'm looking for when I'm hiring. I, I couldn't care less where someone went to college or didn't go to college. I want to know if they can communicate. And that's obviously another point, the communication. You're staying with host families, you're talking to sponsors, you're talking to other people, you're talking to coaches, the communication is another one. So there's, there's it's all those soft skills and non-learned skills that you just have to go through life to get. Mm, excellent. Because um, so important that we actually re- don't realize it, right? We're so laser focused on our careers when we're athletes, whether you're being a college athlete or you're a professional athlete, you're just laser focused on what you're doing every day really not understanding how you're growing as a person based on all of the all of the things that you're doing and then you come out you stop playing for either an injury or because it's time for you to transition or, or an athlete to transition and they just don't realize that oh wait hang on I have skills that I can actually put on my resume and that will give me you know a little bit of a heads up or would put me perhaps in a better position in the stack of other resumes just because of my uh, my previous experience you know so I think that's a great um great takeaway as well for me from the conversation. Now I have a couple more questions, but I do want to say, Joe, while we're here, thank you, because you were one of those that believed in me when not very many people did at the USDA. So I honestly appreciate that. And this is why this conversation to me is so impactful and um, and, and great. So let's get back to it. Um, looking back at your tennis career, would you do anything differently? Do you have any regrets? That's such a good one. Um, I don't believe in regrets. Um, Would I do, I don't know whether that's the right question for me, because as I said, I don't, I think everything happens for a reason. And I was put in situations that no one should be put in, um, but I learned from them and became stronger because of it. So no, I don't, there was nothing I would change and I don't have any regrets because I don't live my life that way. I would say that if you said to me, if you framed that differently and said, would you let your daughter do what you did or have that experience? Then I would be like, absolutely not. I would do things differently at that time, but that's not blaming like my parents because at the time they didn't know, right. You have to go through that to understand what is happening. Um, So no, zero regrets. And I wouldn't do anything different because you take one different move than anything I've happened to in life. And I would not be sitting here today with you. So don't believe in that. Um, but Got if you it. ask me with my daughter, then I would say I would do things very differently. It's uh, a great point. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely great point. Um, and last one, any advice for players or athletes preparing to transition out of the sport? Anything that you would, that you would, you would hope to see or that maybe you wish you did transitioning out of the sport? I think having the belief that you can go into a business world. I mean, as I don't think we even touched on this with me, I did not go to college and, you know, I'm very sometimes sensitive about it um, in my unsensitive way that I am. And I don't really care what anyone thinks, but I make that comment because I don't, didn't have that educational background, but with that belief and that open-mindedness you know, you, you can find what you want to do and how you want to do it. So I think that, you know, either students that are coming out of college or being on the tour, there's so many open doors and you have to shout about your experience of being an athlete, right? Because that's what's going to get you in the first door. And once you're in that first door, most of the athletes are going to succeed like crazy because 
they bring all these skills that a lot of other people can't do. So I think it's really that understanding. I mean, I would have never, ever dreamed that I would be in the position I am today, right? And I don't look 15 years out. That was one of the other exercises that they had us do last Monday. And I was like, 15 years, like, how can I think 15 years ahead? Like, I don't do that, maybe five, but not 15. And so I think that shouting that they're an athlete, right? And talking to different people. And when you're talking, telling them what you do as an athlete and what you've been able to do will open up the door for you. Because I think I've been very, I've been very recently focused on, hey, I think I can only do tennis and I'm not sure I've got any other avenues. And I think I'm starting to, now realize that I actually have other avenues to go to if I wanted to, um, not just tennis, because I've got now this huge skill set that the basis of it was tennis. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been an amazing conversation. And, you know, I think you've hit great takeaways. I mean, the, res the resilience, persistence, consistency, um, you know, taking the risk and being able to keep coming back whether you fail or you don't, uh, just taking that step to to follow your dreams. I mean, great takeaways. I think our athletes at Athlete Soul will be very appreciative of this conversation. Um, and I will say, you know, just stay in touch and we might be sending some your way. <laughs> and I will say, you never let me say anything as a thank you to you for having me on this Um you know, as I said, we, we go back a long way. You didn't, uh, you did yourself well and didn't ask me any stories of you, of us playing together, which we'll just leave at that one. Um, but I think that, you know, as well, when you said that, you know, you believed in me, I almost started crying with that. Cause that really is, you know, everything. And I think that, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. I love what you're doing here and to see you develop and grow. And that's so weird that I, cause I think we've grown up together, but we're growing up together and we're both doing a great job in, you know, the sport and we've transitioned and it hasn't been easy on all the times, but I just, I just appreciate you and your friendship and the friendship that we've, we've had through tennis as well. I'm thank very you, proud Joe. of you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to our transition talks. Athlete Soul is a nonprofit organization, which mission is to support athletes during their transition away from sports, raise awareness about the challenges of athletic retirement and empower athletes to develop beyond sports. We support athletes from all sports and levels with various resources and services. For more information about the organization, you can visit our website at athletesoul.org.